Welcome to our probably third rendition of Spring. Uh, I'm sure it will change over the next few weeks. I've discovered that here in Vancouver, Spring isn't really a season. It's sort of a sporadic occasion as the rain starts decreasing and the temperature starts increasing. Uh, you know, last Sunday the church was empty because it was snowing, and today it's a beautiful day. So, yeah, that's just the way it goes. Such is life. Uh, before I dive into the word this morning, I want to echo Jennifer's announcements and just quickly uh, kind of uh, give some explanation in case you're wondering what she was talking about. Uh, at our AGM at the end of this month, we are voting not only on our church budget, uh, a couple of new board members and things like that. We have also been asked by the CBWC, which is the Canadian Baptist of Western Canada, to vote on a couple of motions that will be coming to the assembly floor in May. So in May, some of the delegates of White Rock Baptist Church, as well as delegates from all of our churches, will be gathering at the assembly and voting on a couple of things. At last year's assembly in 2022, we voted on what we are now calling our identity statement, uh, and that passed two-thirds to one-third, so two-thirds were in favor, one-thirds against. Uh, I'll explain some of that during our meeting afterwards, but that passed. And now following on from that, there are a few more motions as to how we will engage with our identity statement. Uh, and of course, that is incredibly vague. The, the crux of the matter is really the LGBTQ conversation. Uh, and the CBWC finds itself in that season, as so many other denominations have been, and as others will be. How will we engage? What will we do as a denomination? How will we kind of interact with various churches who might have different opinions, different views, uh, different places where they land? How do we kind of come together under one umbrella? And so that's part of the meeting that will take place after this service. Uh, I don't pretend to have every single answer, neither do any of the pastoral team. It's an opportunity for us to perhaps voice some of our concerns, to voice some of our questions, uh, to help us think through this so that at the AGM at the end of the month when we vote, we're hopefully a little more educated, a little more enlightened as to that particular vote. You did hear Jennifer say that everyone will be able to uh, take part in that vote. Yes, at the board meeting, we discussed the need to understand the whole congregation. For the CBWC, the vote will be based on what our membership says, but we want to hear from everyone. So if you are at our AGM at the end of March, whether you are a member or a not a member, in your voting slip, there will be a checkbox to mark off, I'm a member or I'm not. And you won't be able to lie and say you're a member when you're not because we'll have the attendance register. So we'll know it just will kind of confuse the, the scrutineers. So that's what that is. I, I, I took way too much time explaining that. Uh, I just hope that you will be able to join us and, and share in some conversation. As we continue our series that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks, uh, Seeking Revival, uh, we are slowly coming to the end of that. And I don't mean to say that we are coming to the end of this desire to seek revival. Uh, I hope that that will remain with us for a long time to come. But in a couple of weeks' time, it is Easter. Uh, and so we will be coming into Easter and we'll uh, obviously focus on Easter and then a new series there after that. But as we slowly wind down this theme of seeking revival, 
Uh, I was reminded that in 2010, I found myself in a, a really cool spot. I still don't know how, but I received an invitation to be at the Lausanne World Congress on Global Evangelism. Uh, the Lausanne Congress was something that began in Lausanne in 1972. Uh, it was started by Billy Graham and John Stott and a bunch of other people, and it was all about kind of global evangelism. And so there's this little youth pastor from Pretoria at the time sitting in this big old gathering of 6,000 delegates from hundreds of nations across the world. Uh, you know, all languages, all skin tones, even all outfits. You know, there's me in my, in my jeans and T-shirt, and I'm sitting next to a dude from Korea in a full suit, and then another guy from North Africa in his robes, and it was just this kind of eclectic mix. The only unifying factor was Jesus Christ. Uh, we were there because we believed in Jesus Christ, and we wanted to tell the world about him. And one of the things that stood out for me at that Lausanne Congress was the worship. Let me tell you, there is something incredible when you sing hymns in multiple languages with 6,000 people being led by a full choir. Uh, it gave me goosebumps. It gave me a glimpse of heaven to be in this place of worship. But then I realized that actually a couple of years before that, uh, Cape Town hosted a global world day of prayer, and we, host, we hosted it in the Newlands Rugby Stadium. And Newlands Rugby Stadium seats 51,000 people, and the stadium was packed with Christians praying and singing. And again, let me tell you, 51,000 people singing hymns is phenomenal. Uh, you know, it, it, it's just this incredible thing. And even if you don't like singing, even if you're one of those people who think that you can't sing, uh, perhaps a little bit like me, you get drowned out in 51,000 people. Nobody can hear you singing. Uh, and it's an, it's an amazing experience. But I, I kind of look at that and I realize, you know, there's a link, isn't there, in worship and indeed in prayer when we talk about revival. After all, that's what took place in Asbury a couple of weeks ago. I know many of you have perhaps seen online or heard and seen of a, a mini revival that seems to have taken place in Asbury. And it was, it was led, it was precipitated by two weeks of nonstop worship and prayer. As, as the students gathered in chapel and, and had a regular chapel service and they were singing and praying and for whatever reason... They didn't stop. And slowly students would go, but others would come. And, and people literally from around the world came to Asbury to see what was taking place. Now, of course, there have been all sorts of comments, both for and against. There, there are those who from a distance are skeptical and saying it cannot possibly be a work of God for whatever preconceived idea. And then there are others going, it is, it, it's a work, a work of God. Now, I don't know. Time will tell. I'm not here to pass judgment on, on what took place there. Time will tell what fruit is developed from that. But I see a definite link between prayer and worship with revival. When the Spirit of God moves in the midst of the people of God, He moves because people pray. This is why we hosted a prayer and worship night a couple of weeks ago, why we're praying every Wednesday night through Lent, and, and that's open to everyone. 
And then again on the 15th of March, Wednesday night, we're having another prayer and worship night here because we understand when the people of God gather together and they cry out to God and they worship God, that's when the Spirit moves. In fact, it seems to me God moves more through that than He ever will through preaching. So maybe I should just cut my sermon right here and we should start singing hymns. That's the way God seems to move. But before we do that, I want to have a look at a psalm. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Psalm 85. I've just got one verse in there. Actually, I'm going to read two. Psalm 85, verse 6 and 7. Uh, it won't be on the screen, so you can grab a Bible. You can look on your phone. Of course, when I say look on your phone, I mean a Bible app on your phone. If you're browsing real, reels on Instagram or something like that, that's just, you know, not really... Psalm 85, the psalmist writes this in verse 6 and 7. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? I want to spend just a couple of moments considering a few thoughts that come out of that verse. And then I want to end off by looking at a few words that Evan Roberts, the famous Welsh preacher of the Welsh revival in 1906, uh, spoke and preached and, and taught on, on this whole topic of revival. You know, I, I know that some of us may have grown up, I certainly grew up in a, a church environment where revival was linked to a series of meetings. You know, we would have these revival meetings, come for a week-long series of meetings, first thing in the morning, late in the evening, whatever the case might be, come to these meetings and experience revival. And as I kind of reflect back on that, I think a lot of those meetings really were excuses to get together, to have fellowship, to eat a lot, uh, yes, to sing and to pray and to listen, but I'm not so sure we ever truly experienced revival in those places. And when I look at David's request in Psalm 85, a revival is far more than just a series of meetings. It's a request that David cries out to God. And in that request, David points out that there is always a need for revival. There is always a need for revival. Revival is not something that just happens once off and we check the box and we go, okay, we don't need another one. Revival for the people of God needs to happen regularly. And this is why David says, revive us again. Revive us again. No matter how mature we might be in our faith, no matter how victorious our Christian life seems, we will never get to that place where we do not need a fresh touch of God. And that's what revival is about. It's reviving us. It's, it's bringing back life. Yes, there are byproducts like reaching the lost, proclaiming Christ for sure. But it's about us. Revive us again. There is always this need. There's always a touch or a need for a fresh touch. Now, I know some of us might kind of wrestle with that and go, Brian, why do I... Why do I need? I, if I've had one, I don't need another one. Well, I can think of two simple illustrations. You know, just because you had breakfast today doesn't mean you're not going to need breakfast tomorrow. 
Or, or, or just because you had a wash, a shower or a bath at some point, does not mean you're not going to need one again. There are many things in our lives where we have and we go, oh, that was great. But we need it again and again. Revive us again, O oh God. Move us again. You know, I know that sometimes we also might get frustrated at that idea because we kind of think, oh, if only God would move in such a way that he didn't have to move again. I agree with that. The problem is us. We might be moved in that place. We might respond in worship. We might respond in prayer. We might respond in, in going out and telling others. But we're human and we drift how we drift away from God. The cares of the, this world, the cares of life weigh on us. Challenges come, experiences happen, and we drift away. And so David says, revive us again. There's this need for constant. But David also points out that the source of revival is God. So David shows we need constant revival. We need to be arrived again. But he reminds us that the source of revival is God. David begins by saying, will you not? Of course, who is the you? It's God Almighty. It is God himself. The source of the revival is not the preacher, not the meetings, not the programs. Any source is always God. In fact, Henry Morehouse was a revival preacher and evangelist and, and used greatly by God to bring many people to the Lord and, and stirred revivals in, in places where he preached. Uh, he tells a story where in one of his, his revival kind of tours, for want of a better word, uh, he was wrestling with God because it just seemed like there was, there was this lack of spirit movement. It just seemed to him cold. And he, and he didn't understand what was going on. There was no response. And so he, he was taking a walk after the meeting and praying with God as he was walking along the street. And in fact, his words as he prayed and he, he journaled this, he said, why am I not preaching with unction and power? And he wasn't saying that because he thought he was great. He had been seeing God using him. He had seen God work through that unction and that power and that preaching. And so he said, why, God, are the people so unresponsive? Why are souls not being saved? And as he was walking along, he saw this billboard up in the city that he was preaching in. And the billboard said this, Here, the most famous of all British preachers, Henry Morehouse. And in that instance, God said to him, They've made it all about you. And Henry went back and pointed out, you've got it all wrong. Don't dare for a moment think I'm the source of your revival. Don't dare for a moment think it's the programs or the people. The source is God alone. And the Spirit in that moment was grieved because people weren't focusing on the Spirit. You know, I've, I've mentioned Evan Roberts a few times from the Welsh revival. Evan Roberts was, was, was classic in this regard. Evan Roberts would literally go to a church to go and preach and if in the middle of, the, of being in there, he felt like, wait a minute, they're making it all about me. They think it's all, all my doing. He would simply leave. I mean, can you imagine if halfway through my sermon, I'm like, oh, that's it, I'm out. Uh, what, uh, what do we do now? But that's what Evans did, because he understood the source of revival is God. 
It's not human schemes and programs. And this is why prayer is so intimately linked with revival, because we ask God to move. Ask God to move. And then as, as I read through this verse from David, I, I notice David points out the subjects of revival. And the subjects of revival are quite simply us. That's what David says. Revive us. That your people revive us. Where does revival take place? It takes place in the people of God. Not those who do not know God. Not those who are far off. Now make no mistake, the byproduct of revival is those who are far off are drawn in. But that's not where revival starts. Revival begins here. It begins with you and I. It takes place when those who claim to be Christian change. You know, as I was reading through that Welsh revival, uh, Evan Roberts and, and his kind of friends and, and people who were praying, right at the beginning, they prayed that God would give 100,000 souls. And do you know, by the end of the Welsh revival, well more than 100,000 people came to Christ. But in the process, they realized, no, that wasn't the focus. That actually was a byproduct. Because God changed the people. The nation of Wales was a completely different place in 1906. Coal mines came to a stop. And do you know why coal mines came to a stop? Because the mules that were used to cart the coal could not understand the language of the Welshmen who were no longer swearing at their, at their uh, donkeys and beating them. And that's part of the stories that you read. People would go to rugby games and in the middle of a game just start singing hymns. And do you know that still happens today in Wales? Hop onto YouTube. And search up Welsh rugby or Wales rugby, bread of heaven. Uh, there's a clip from the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff from about 2016 when Wales played England. And 72,000 fans are singing bread of heaven in entirety. All, all, the, all the, the verses. I mean, we sometimes get frustrated when a hymn has more than four verses. And, and his rugby fans... Now, of course, don't get fooled by it because a few moments later they're all swearing at the English rugby players, so there's clearly some, something wrong there. But so deep was that revival in 1906 that changed people, it still impacts the culture today. We need to be changed. You know, there was a, an author who, who wanted to know what was taking place. And so he visits the town, one of the towns in, in Wales, in, in one of the communities, and he's trying to find where the revival is happening. And he, he recorded that he got off the train, uh, and he found a policeman. And he asks this police officer, Good sir, can you tell me where the revival is taking place? And this officer looked at him, and he simply said, It happens here. And he pointed to his heart. It happens here. We are the subjects of revival when God changes us. That's why revival has to begin with us. 
That's where God moves. And then it spreads to others. But notice David makes the request. David doesn't just sit back idly. David asked God to move. Will you not? He's asking God, will you revive us? And we're, we're told over and over in Scripture to go to God, to bring our request, to make our request known. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, says you do not have because you do not ask. We pray and we ask for revival. God speaking to his nation, the nation of Israel, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, a verse we know so well. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Revival doesn't just happen. It happens when the people of God cry out, when they Ask. You know, the, the, the author and preacher Leonard Ravenhill made this comment a little bit tongue, tongue in cheek when asked, Why do you think revival doesn't happen? And he said, We are more, the churches of Christ, we are more concerned about our churches being air conditioned than prayer conditioned. Oh, that stings. We want our church to be comfortable. We want the air to be the right temperature. Yet we don't gather to pray. We need to make the request. And what happens when we do that? What happens when we request and when God moves? That's what David says. The result is that your people may rejoice in you. A desire for worship. A yearning to spend time in the presence of God. As we saw in Asbury, when, when students, knowing that they've still got class, knowing that there are things they're supposed to be at, choose instead to stay and worship God. Because they rejoice in God. Revival is a time when God's people return to the simplicity of their first love. Their love of Jesus Christ. And we need to know that God invites us into this place over and over again. So how then shall we live? What do we, what do, we do with this prayer of David? How do we go about? You know, I've mentioned Evan Roberts a couple of times. I want to close off, in a sense, with, with an application of what to do. Because Evan Roberts, believe it or not, did preach a number of times. But his preaching was incredibly simple. Evan Roberts had four simple points, and he sounded like a broken record. He kept preaching the same thing over and over and over again. It happened because he prayed and he preached. His first point was confess all known sin to God and reconcile with others. Confess sin and reconcile. That's what the Bible calls us to. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Confess to God. But, but what he preached, even as he unpacked those kind of verses, was yes, we confess our sin to God, but we confess to one another. 
Now, that doesn't mean that I put up the microphone and I say, okay, everyone, today we're going to tell everyone our deepest and darkest sins. That would be foolish. But what it means is we find a brother or sister in Christ who we trust, who has the spiritual maturity to take it and to understand, and we confess our sin to them in order that they would help us and hold us accountable to that. It's not so that they have something to kind of hold over us. That's not the point. It's so that in accountability, we might truly break free of those sins. The reality is every one of us wrestles with sin. Our human flesh gravitates to things. And those things pull us away from God. And so we wrestle. And so there's no point looking at somebody else's sin and going, well, they sin worse than me because that's the way they sin. And so, you know, they're worse than me. No, God doesn't look at it like that. And so Evan Roberts said, confess all known sin. And then actually I said it wrong. I said confess and reconcile. Reconcile was number two. So the first one was confess all sin. The second thing was reconcile with others. Reconcile with others. You know, Jesus teaching his disciples and and his followers in Matthew chapter 25, verse 23 and 24, Jesus says this, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Go and be reconciled. There are testimonies during that Welsh revival that when people were revived and convicted of their sin and confessed their sin, they realized, I need to go and make right. People who had 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 shady business deals, people who had broken relationships would go and make right. They would either give back, they would restore what they had taken, Or they would come in humility and and confession and say, I've wronged you and I've I've ignored you. Go and be reconciled. That message is as valid for us today as it was in Wales, as it was when Jesus spoke it. We humans are an amazing lot. What I mean by an amazing lot is the ability we have to remember a hurt that somebody did to us or against us. And then to hold it against them for the rest of their lives. Without ever engaging. Without ever going to seek reconciliation and and healing. I was involved in a church years ago that had a flower ministry. Now I know some of you are wondering, what on earth is a flower ministry? Well, at this church, uh, a few of the, the ladies, and I don't mean to be sexist, but they were the ones running it. A few of the ladies decided the stage needs to have a beautiful bouquet of flowers every Sunday. And so this whole group of ladies kind of got together and and started as an act of worship, uh, arranging flowers that they would leave up on the stage. But slowly, over time, what would happen is one woman would have her turn to do the flowers and she would do the flowers. But do you know she did them wrong? And of course, one of the other ladies felt it was her duty to tell her she had arranged those flowers wrong. And then another lady would come along and realize that the budget the church had, it didn't give her enough flowers. And so she would put her own money in and prop up 
And of course, everyone would notice that one's three times as big as normal, and she would get all this praise after the service. And so there were these beautiful flowers, but there was a string of broken relationships. And there was a string of heartache and hurt and ladies who refused to speak to other ladies in the church. And eventually the senior pastor realized, and he cut off the flower ministry. At the risk of ire and possible ejection from the church, he realized these flowers are no longer an act of worship. They're a seed of division and disunity. And so crucial was that idea of being reconciled to one another, being united in Christ. He took that risk. This is why Evan Roberts preached, be reconciled. When the church gets together in harmony and unity, that's when the world looks on and goes, what's going on? Why would such a diverse group come together? Because Jesus Christ brings them together. Be reconciled. The third point that Evan Roberts spoke about was be totally yielded to the Holy Spirit. Be totally yielded and obedient to the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, just before he was crucified in John chapter 14, speaks to his disciples and his, his close group of disciples. And he says to them, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The Holy Spirit. And Jesus made it plain to the disciples that he had to go in order that the Holy Spirit would come. And that the Holy Spirit would lead the people of God, disciples of Christ. He would remind them of truth. He would lead them into truth. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, the Holy Spirit is in you. And you better believe there are times the Holy Spirit is prompting you and nudging you in that still, small, quiet voice. And he's telling you outlandish things like, hey, you should phone that person and encourage them. You, you should make a meal for that person. Hey, you got a little bit extra back from CRA? Instead of putting it into you know, your own funds, you should bless that family. The Holy Spirit brings these little prompts into our hearts to do these things. And it's until we learn to obey that and yield, that's when we discover this abundant life that Jesus invites us into. Jesus invites us into life. Jesus wants us to experience. But we only do that when we obey and when we yield. After the service today, you better believe some of you are going to get prompted. I only pray that you will respond. Be totally yielded and obedient to the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing that Evan Roberts taught on and preached on was simply this. Publicly confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Publicly confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus tells his followers in Luke chapter 12, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned even before the angels of God. Publicly acknowledge. And part of the reason why Evan Roberts spoke about publicly acknowledging God is because it is very difficult to defraud a, a colleague or a customer or someone if you've just told them about Jesus Christ. 
It is very difficult to lie to a friend if you've just told them about Jesus Christ. When we start to proclaim Christ, we start to acknowledge our own lives. And so Evan Roberts said, publicly confess Jesus Christ. So what do we do? How do we live? How do we respond as we pray for revival? And I need you to know, prayer always precipitates revival. You know, the way we talk, it sounds like Evan Roberts was kind of just this guy minding his own business, and all of a sudden, or, or, or Morehouse was minding his own business, and all of a sudden, no. Do you know Evan Roberts, according to his journals, prayed for 13 years, virtually daily, that God would restore and move in Wales? For 13 years. And he was ultimately invited to come and preach what initiated that revival when a group of ladies in a church were praying for months and one of the ladies felt the Holy Spirit prompt her to invite Evan to come and preach. And so she invited this young guy, I think he was 26 at the time, to come and preach. But it came through prayer. Do you want to see God revive yourself and us and others? Then pray, confess all sin, reconcile with others, yield to the Holy Spirit, and proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. I close off with two verses before I pray. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness on you. Break up that fellow ground. Break up that hard ground. Seek God that he may rain righteousness on you. And then Psalm 67, verse 1 to 3. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. That your way, God, may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Amen. Let's pray together. God, that is certainly my desire. That all the people would praise you. That you would be glorified. That Jesus Christ would be proclaimed and acknowledged and lifted high. That our God would be worshipped. And so God, with that desire in mind, I pray would you revive us again. God, help us to break up that hard ground in our hearts. And perhaps it's gotten hard over time as we've drifted away from you. Perhaps it's gotten hard because we prayed for something and, and you moved in a different way and, and we didn't know how to respond, so we just shut ourselves off. But yet, God, you long to revive us and to bring new life. God, revive our hearts again. And then, Lord, as we seek that, as we cry out for that, as we pray for that, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to live to confess our sin, 
to, to turn away from sin, to cut out sinful things in our lives, and then to be reconciled to others. Oh God, I, I have no doubt that in this congregation there is disunity and, and we perhaps don't even know or see it. But you do, and it grieves you, and I pray that you would bring reconciliation. And God, that we would learn to yield to your spirit, to the promptings. And as we obey those promptings of the spirit, we would see you do incredible things. And by seeing you doing incredible things, people would ask. And the only answer we could possibly give is Jesus Christ. And therefore, we would proclaim Jesus Christ, our Savior, crucified for our sins, who raised the game. To give us eternal life. God be glorified. For we pray it in your name. Amen.